thanks Dino, yes you did follow through and put the money where you said it was, but you was the only one who would buy at that price. Just because somebody says it's a good idea doesn't mean anything. We need to properly validate and test our ideas. Welcome to the Get Real About Business podcast, where we uncover the real deal on what it takes to start and grow a business fast. It's all about earning the right where we work hard today so we can reap the reward tomorrow. Prepare for some hot tips today. I'll be your host, Clive Maloney. Hi there. Welcome back to another episode of the Get Real About Business podcast. This is episode 39 and I'm your host, Clive Maloney. Now, believe it or not, I pay attention. I pay attention to my clients. I pay attention to people like you who listen to this podcast. I pay attention to entrepreneurs and small business owners that I meet and speak with every single day. There's a lot of things that they complain about or have difficulty with and areas in which they want to improve in. But one of the things that comes up again and again is one question. And it usually goes something along the lines of, I'm thinking about, should I? So I'm thinking about, blank what do you think and that blank could be just about anything it's basically we get an idea maybe it's an idea that we came up with or an idea that somebody else has given us or sold to us and maybe for many of the ideas that you come across now as an entrepreneur maybe you're just that little bit more receptive It certainly seems to me that once you enter the world of entrepreneurship, you're always looking for the next thing that's going to take your business or your life further. We're open to ideas. And of course, you're meeting people all the time. You're having conversations, plenty of ideas going. And it's that next idea, the golden idea that we think is going to dramatically change our world. But there are a lot of traps and pitfalls. Not every idea is golden. And what we need is a way to validate our ideas, to work through those ideas so that we can understand whether there's something that is worth our time, our energy, our money, our resources into investing in them, or whether we should just park them, maybe forget them entirely. So today, I thought I'd share a little bit about that. And as you probably know by now, I spend a lot of time coaching people and in masterminds. People are always looking for validation. We have ideas, we want the ideas validated. But one of the things that you might be missing, well, you probably are missing, since you left your old job and you started up your own small business, I'm assuming that's where you're at right now. One of the things you're missing is the accountability that comes with having a manager that you have to run ideas through. And I actually think that this is one of the dangers about having so much freedom that's available to you as an entrepreneur, is that when we get an idea, we don't properly validate them. So that costs you time and it costs you money. It can also cost you reputation. And one of the other problems as well is that we can sometimes pursue one opportunity whilst we've got other things going and then we can confuse our audience. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that you can't have several things going at the same time. Of course you can. But your audience, whoever you're speaking to, they've got to understand how things link. So let me give you an example here. When I first started my business, it's all about corporate coaching and training. It was very much focused on medium to large size businesses, and I was offering a series of training. 
that trend was in leadership and personal development, a number of different areas. So that was before I decided to niche down and focus actually on small business. And I'd been going along to a regular networking event. It was a chapter at BNI, if you've ever heard of that. It stands for Business Networking International. But basically, I'd been going along to this group and I hadn't been getting any leads or referrals. I've been putting a lot of energy in and been trying to be as giving as possible, but I was getting nothing back. And then it got back to me, and this was probably about eight, nine months into it. People were confused. They were confused because one day I might talk about a leadership or management program, and the next day I might talk about something to do with personal excellence or time management or something like that. And so the feedback I got, which was through the grapevine, which you know almost the worst way to hear things, that you think, well, people have been talking about you behind your back. The feedback I'd got was that, They didn't understand what I really stood for and that I was jack of all trades, master of none. And that was really hard to hear. Jack of all trades, master of none. So basically, I wasn't very good. Obviously, when we hear feedback like that, it is upsetting. And I had to kind of move through that upsetting stage to realise actually, maybe, maybe they have a point here. It doesn't matter whether I'm actually qualified to deliver something or not or whether I've got experience in one area, or actually whether I can help someone. What matters most is that my audience believe that I can do it. So I had to get better around my marketing message. The point is that sometimes pursuing one thing, then the next, and having some kind of mixed bag about what you do tends to confuse your audience. We want to avoid that. And as I mentioned, when you pursue an opportunity, there is a cost in both time and money. And I learned that lesson the hard way. Around about that time when I got that feedback about, well, he's he's jack of all trades, master of none. That's when somebody asked me, do you do first aid training? And when I was younger, I was an officer in St. John Ambulance Brigade. And so I was very heavily into first aid. I'd completed tens of thousands of duty hours and I used to teach first aid. Things elapsed since then. So I said to them, well, hey, you know, I used to, but I don't anymore. And it was an accountant I was speaking to. He was saying, you should really do this. There would be so much demand for it. Pretty much everybody in the room could do with, and this was obviously a networking event, everybody in the room could do with getting on a first aid course. I'd buy it. And so there was my opportunity. Hold that thought, I said. And then I went away and I looked into it and I re-qualified as a first aid trainer. I spent £4,000 on first aid equipment, Rasasianis, models of the spine, all kinds of things. I went on a two-week intensive train-the-trainer course. Obviously, I had to pay for that too. Then a few weeks later, I went back to that same group and offered it out, spoke to other people in my network, pushed it out for a few weeks. And do you know how many people I got on my first first aid course? Two. I just got two people. The guy who said about it, and his daughter. I thought, this is crazy. First aid courses, I know there are people who qualify every day of the year. There is so much demand for first aid courses. So I went away and did some homework and did some research in what other people were doing. And I discovered the real problem was around price. There are a lot of people who work for, say, the Ambulance Brigade or work at Red Cross or St. John Ambulance And what they do is they offer first aid on the side. So it's a little way to make up a little bit of money. And so 
there's a lot of people putting out first aid courses for very low cost. Yeah, when I priced it up and took it into account all the materials that if you're going to do it properly and professionally, I believe that you should be doing, I could not compete on that price. Not make any serious money. It just wasn't profitable. So here's one idea that cost me more than £4,000 several months of my life and all at a time when I didn't have the money and didn't have the time to give it away. Opportunity can be like a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I share this with you because I want you to know that just because somebody said something was a good idea or maybe even somebody says, yes, I'll buy that. And hey, thanks, Dino. Yes, you did follow through and put the money where you said it was. But you was the only one who would buy at that price. Just because somebody says it's a good idea doesn't mean anything. We need to properly validate and test our ideas. And there's two different types of validation that we need to go through. One is validating ideas with others. So through other people. And the other is around self-validation. How do we decide if this is a good idea for us or for you? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through both validating ideas through others and self-validation. I'm probably going to talk a little bit less about validating ideas with others simply because I have a book recommendation for you. And the book is by an amazing guy called Rob Fitzpatrick. Look him up on YouTube or check the show notes page because I'm going to put a link to the book there. And the book that I highly recommend is The Mum Test. And this is the American spelling of mum, by the way, M-O-M, The Mum Test, how to talk to customers and learn if your business idea is a good idea when everyone is lying to you. So once again, that's The Mum Test, how to talk to customers and learn if your business is a good idea when everyone is lying to you. Now, Rob Fitzpatrick explains it really well in this book. Basically, the problem is people try to be nice. And because they're trying to be nice, when you share your idea with them, they lie to your face without even realising it. And they don't mean to lie to you. But just think about it. If I were to come to you and say, I've been thinking about doing this in my business, or I've got this idea to create a new product or a new service, what do you think? The natural reaction for most of us is to say, oh, that sounds interesting. And often or not, what will tend to happen is that the reply we get is, Oh, that's great. That sounds like a really good idea. Well done you for coming up to it. Good luck. It's natural for people to validate our ideas because we want to be nice. Talking to customers and getting feedback can be hard. And maybe what's at the root of this as well is the reason why we go away and tell people our ideas. And the reason why we do that is through validation. But often or not, what we're trying to do is actually validate ourselves rather than the idea. We're looking for praise. What we want to hear is, yes, that's a great idea, aren't you clever? Now, I know you might be thinking, yes, I want the truth. Of course you want the truth. But also, there's probably a big part of you that actually mostly wants to hear that it's a goer. And we have got to stop asking people's opinion. When you ask for opinion on an idea, you tend to get validation for you as a person, but no real data about whether the idea is going to work or not. And the worst thing about this is it will convince you that you're on the right path. And so you get this false positive, which causes you to overinvest your cash, your time and your team. So as Rob Fitzpatrick talks about in his book, stop asking for opinion. 
So how do you get feedback on an idea? How, how do you validate an idea with other people? Well, what Fitzpatrick talks about in his book is that you go away and you ask them about life instead of your idea. Of course, where the mum test comes from is that the last person you really want to ask for a business idea to get some opinion is usually your mum because she loves you and she will tell you anything to make you happy. And so again, you get self-validation but no data. But if you have a conversation about their life, whether it's your mum or somebody else, and don't ask them about the idea, just find out what are they interested in, what's important to them. That's when you start getting some feedback. So it all boils down to this. When you are soliciting feedback from other people, when you're validating an idea with other people, do not tell them what the problem is that you're looking to solve. And don't, definitely, definitely, definitely don't tell them that you're coming up with a product, at least until you're further down the road. Maybe you've got to steer the conversation around to it. But find out what their problem is with the thing that you're looking to solve for them. Get the detail and then create a solution on the back of that. There's a wonderful example in the book about creating an app, like for your mobile phone or your iPad, and the app would have lots of different recipes and things. And when you run it through the mum test and you ask your mum what you think, then of course she says it's a good idea. But when you really test the idea out by asking what she's interested in and what she cares about, then you might find that actually she's not interested in more recipes because she's got a ton of cookbooks as it is and one thing leads to the other. It's the wrong idea for the wrong audience. So I don't want to go into it too much because this is a recommended read. Go and read The Mum Test. But what you can do right now is stop seeking approval. If you've got an idea, just go away and ask people about that problem that relates to the idea and find out what they've tried in the past to solve the problem, what the nature of that problem is. Just ask questions. If we ask better questions, we'll get better data. And once you've got that idea, you would then go away and test it. So the first thing we do when we get an idea is that we want to look to validate it. We validate it in two ways. One is validating ideas through others. Do not skip this phase. Because if we purely go on our gut instinct or our own personal research, that really isn't rigorous enough. But if you are going to validate ideas through others, then you need to do it in a smart way where you actually get the data and not personal approval. Okay, so that's step one. The other part of this is to look at how we go about validating it for ourselves. As I said before, sometimes we can end up doing something that confuses our audience. The thing I see a lot is around network marketing, be it Herbalife, Cambridge Weight Loss, Utility Warehouse, any of those companies. And there are hundreds of network marketing companies out there. Probably 80% of them are decent companies. And for the right person, they could be well worth getting involved in. But network marketing is often promoted as something that you can do on the side of something else whether it's on the side of a job that you go to. Of course, where I see it a lot is something that you add to your business offerings. So I see a lot of entrepreneurs who are running a small business and then they say, well, hey, I just signed up for this network marketing company. It seems like a really good way to make some money. It costs next to nothing or possibly nothing to get started. And so I just got involved. 
Four to six months later, nine times out of ten, I find that person's never made any real money with it and has abandoned the idea entirely. And if they put any money into it in the first place, that money is lost. Now, I don't want to be unfair to the network. The problem is that any network marketing company is like any other business. You have to work it like a business. So that's going to take time and resources. And also, what tends to happen again is that we confuse people. If you think about your life up to now, how you got from, say, your teenage years into your career, maybe you went through college first, maybe you didn't, you started at a job and then you went through your career and did a number of different things, there would be a natural journey there. It would make sense how you went from one job to another job because there would be a reason for that. It would make sense why you made those changes. So one of the things that you have to watch out for when you take an idea like this You might think, well, this is a great way to make some money, isn't it? The danger being is if you take that up and you start promoting that alongside your other offerings, if the two don't seem to connect, then people will think, like they did me, that you're jack of all trades, master of none. Or they might think that perhaps you've begun that network marketing business because you're not presently successful in your current business. I am not saying that you can't do it. What I am saying is that you've got to find a narrative thread that links things through. People have got to see the connection, how if you start up, say, with some kind of health foods product as a network marketing company, it's got to make sense to the rest of your offering. And that's if you're running them both at the same time and if it's pretty much you. Now, you might say to me is that there's plenty of other people out there Eben Pagan is an example, somebody who I follow. I think he's got something like 15 multi-million dollar companies. The first one was a dating site, and then he's gone to do loads of other things, just completely unrelated. But the way he did that was to set up a business, get it working, start making money, build a team around it so that it pretty much runs itself, and then he can step away with that first, with the initial business running, and then you step away, and then you start on your next venture. Now, that makes sense, because you've got a successful business up and running, and now you're looking for the next challenge. But if you don't get there first, it just looks like you're all over the place. So, ask yourself, when you get a new idea, from the perspective of someone else, will they understand why I made this choice? Does it make sense? Will they see the narrative thread? So that's the first thing you've got to ask yourself when validating an idea. The other thing that I think that you should be asking yourself, perhaps the most important question, is how does it relate to your ultimate life or business goals? So this presupposes that you have already defined what those ultimate life or business goals are. Now, if your goal is simply to make a million pounds, then pretty much Any business that makes money might be a goer for you. Who knows? But if you have more specific goals, and I'm guessing that you do, then you have to make sure that this new idea relates to that. And one of the things for me is always about teaching and helping others and making a positive impact in someone else's life. Back before I started my business, before I even left my previous job, I considered starting up a web design company. I qualified as a web design manager and I did it mostly because I'm a bit geeky and I enjoy that kind of stuff. 
But if I think about what my ultimate purpose is, my ultimate goals is really about, again, teaching, helping others and making an impact. And yes, I could argue, yes, it kind of makes an impact. If somebody's got a website, then they can promote their business or promote their endeavor. They can communicate that. Therefore, that makes a difference to them. It doesn't make the kind of difference that I want to make through coaching, training and mentoring. So if I think about pursuing that as an opportunity, yeah, I'm glad I learned the skills. They've been so useful over the years. But for me to pursue that as a business venture, it just doesn't feel right to me. And you have to ask the same yourself. What is it that you care about most? Where do you want to be? And every time, every time somebody gives you an idea or you come up with an idea yourself, ask yourself, does this get me where I need to be? Something else that we need to think about is the cost of opportunity. Let's say that you have an idea for your business that will generate an extra £50,000 a year. On the face of it, it seems like a sensible thing to do. Yeah, you're going to generate more money in your business. But what we have to remember is that when you're pursuing one idea, there is a cost at least in time for you to pursue that. I mean, there might be other costs as well. There might be resourcing costs as well. But certainly there is a cost in time. And while you are pursuing that £50,000 idea, it's sometimes a case that you're actually ignoring a £100,000 idea that you could pursue elsewhere. Worse still is that what you might be doing is spending time out your business to create this new £50,000, but you're doing so at a cost of your existing business that, again, might might be at a cost of £100,000. Of course, it's not always about profit. You might be looking for ways in which you can increase customer value, which in turn is going to increase their retention rates. It might be that the idea is something that's going to increase your brand awareness, which short term will have a cost in time, but long term down the road, you'll get that cost back. You have to think about return of investment, your time put in on this venture, what you're going to get back if you do it, and also what you're giving up in order to achieve this. When we're the boss and when it's our idea, we're not so good at validating those ideas. And so if you take yourself out of the equation from your business and you're not there to service your clients or to deliver and maximize on existing offerings, you might actually find that this new idea has a greater cost to you than what you generate if you were just to continue business as is. And this is just another reason why we need to have a validation process. If we work it through and if we think this through logically, kind of divorce us from the emotion of the fantastic new idea and the excitement that comes with that, then we can evaluate it. We can validate that idea as whether it is really a goer or whether it's going to cost you something in your business. So there you go. Two different ways to validate ideas. One is through yourself and one is through others. The key takeaway there is don't ask people about your idea. Ask people about their lives find out about them, and then solve problems that they've got based on the real data that you're getting because they're just thinking that they're talking about their lives rather than confirming whether an idea is good enough. Stop trying to seek approval. Stop trying to sell ideas to gain approval. For self-validation, it comes down to two things, I believe. One is, does this have a narrative thread? Will my customers, will my audience be able to see how this new idea connects to my existing offering. And the second thing is, does what I'm looking at doing here 
fit with my ultimate business or personal goals. If you validate all ideas that way, there's a much better chance that your idea is going to actually pay you off in the long term. And the final stage to this is to go and get some commitment. This isn't about validating your idea now. It's actually once you've got that idea, you then need to test that idea. Again, ideas alone are great. If you go and ask somebody's opinion, even experts' opinions, you go and speak to people who invest in companies, angel investors, consultants, business coaches like me, there's a good chance that whether we say this is a good idea or it's a bad idea, we're probably going to be wrong. Because no two businesses are the same. What might work for me doesn't necessarily work for you. And really, business is all about learning what the the principles, what's the mechanics of running a good business and what are the things that influence good decision making. If we understand that, we can build a better business. But if I think it's a good idea, if I think it's a bad idea, don't believe a word I say because I'm probably going to be wrong. And the same for anybody else that you ask. And so therefore, what you've got to do is you've got to test it. You've got to get confirmation and the three ways to get confirmation. And this is my final share with you today. You've got to get commitment and there's three ways to do that. You want a commitment of time, commitment of reputation or commitment of money. Let's start with money. Once you've had your idea and you've had conversations with people about what matters to the most, then you start with that conversation and you say something like, what if there was something out there that would solve xyz for you and in the way that you want it would that be something you'd buy and probably they'll say yeah of course i would that's the point in which you actually have to ask for the money because at that point there that's still an opinion yes i'd buy that because it's hypothetical but that's where you've got to ask for the money and say okay here's my bank details let's do this i'll get it to you in the next couple of weeks until you can get people to put money behind that idea it's not proven in any way. That might be that they'll they'll pay you the money outright. They'll they'll give it to you upfront before you put together the program, the product, or the offering. So it could be like a pre-order, or it could be that you've already done it and then you're just ready to go, and you want to pay them and start straight away. You could also take money through a deposit, and sometimes if that doesn't work, you might even try getting a letter of intent. That is how you get commitment in money. And that is the ultimate test for whether the idea is correct and whether the idea is scalable. Next up, let's talk reputation. Now, maybe you've been talking to somebody about this idea that you've got and they say to you, oh, that's absolutely brilliant. I must introduce you to my friend, Bob. He could absolutely do with that. That itself is great confirmation and great commitment to your idea. Particularly here, in this case, unsolicited, to put their reputation on the line to introduce you to somebody. Of course, you could ask for that introduction. It wouldn't be quite so strong if you asked for it. Another way to get reputation commitment could be a case study or a testimonial. If somebody's willing to put their story forward, if they're willing to share positive news about your offering, that is a good sign that this is a good idea. And that brings us to the third of the three commitments that you're looking for which is time. And asking for someone's commitment in time towards your idea is the weakest of all. Why is it weak? Simply because people will give you their time because they love you. If somebody likes you, they'll give you their time. 
But nevertheless, you might say to them, look, you know, I've been developing this idea on, say, some new mobile app. Um, it would be really helpful for me to get together with your team and maybe spend a couple of hours with them and go over some ideas and some thoughts. Would that be possible? If it's not an idea that they think it is worthwhile, then asking them to commit their team and their resources there, whether it's their time or other people's, that's some degree of a commitment. But we just have to remember, it's not a massive ask. It's not a massive commitment. And especially if we've got a great relationship with them, they'll probably do it just because they love you. So next time you have an idea about something, make sure you validate it. Validate it with others and validate it through yourself. Do some self-validation there. Don't just jump both feet in. So I just want to wrap things up by thanking you uh, for listening to me today and thanking our sponsor, KB Virtual Services. I don't know if you find the same, but since I began my business, I have never been so busy in my professional life. There is so much to do. The frustrating thing is that some of the things that you have to do like your bookkeeping, following up with some of your clients, making some phone calls. They're not the things you really want to be spending your time on. They're not the things you love. They're often not the things you're good at, not the things you're quick at. And most importantly, they're not the things that are most profitable. It therefore helps that you can have someone that you trust, that will have your back and will take some of that stuff off you so it frees you up to focus in the very best of areas. The areas that only you as the small business owner should be pursuing. KB Virtual Services is my choice for a virtual assistant. And getting a great virtual assistant, someone who's going to support your business while you're out there making money, that's what's going to help you scale your business, will help you look professional, and most of all, create the focus you need to achieve your business goals. So if you'd like to find out what KB Virtual Services can do for you, then follow the link that you'll find on the show notes page or visit kbvirtualservices.co.uk and let them know that I sent you. You'll get a special deal for doing that. Now, if you found today useful and you love the show, you'd like to get involved more, there's a couple of things you could do for us. If you're listening to this on iTunes, please leave a review or leave a review wherever you happen to find this. It really is important. It helps other people find the show, so you'll be helping me at the same time as helping others. Also, you can continue the conversation. Come and tell us your stories, share your ideas, and you can do that in my Facebook group and in the right. It's free to join, and it's for all of my podcast subscribers. Come and hang out with me and other entrepreneurs. You'll find the link to that, as well as the book recommendation that I gave you today. They're all on the show notes page that you'll find at getrealaboutbusiness.com forward slash 39. We'll be back next time. We're talking video and creating a YouTube channel and building your reputation, all that and more next time. Until then, take care of yourself. Here's to you and your highly successful business.